Here we are on episode 165. Where do my health issues come from? Is a question you might have asked yourself or even asked on behalf of your kids. Often we're told that it's bad luck. However, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it can be traced back through the family line and not necessarily through genetics, as you may have guessed. On today's episode, we talk about what could be going on with generational health or even generational disease when we give birth to unwell children. We also talk a lot about the ever so common estrogen dominance that our diets massively contribute to for both women and men. Yes, men too. Estrogen and men in a sentence, believe it or not. It's a thing. (laughs) It's actually quite common. And also, how to detox that estrogen excess through your gut. If this sounds like stuff you've got going on in your world right now, then let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? In 2022, this year, it's my mission to coach 300 people to lose weight and bring sexy back without counting calories or eating rabbit food. So you can finally be the healthy, strong, and self-confident person you've always wanted to be because that sounds amazing, right? (laughs) Now, in today's episode, we're going to be diving into arguably some of the most important parts of the body, the gut, the hormones, the mind, the brain, all of the things. And to help me do this, I would like to introduce you to Jess Wilson, whose journey to becoming a functional nutritionist began when her children were born as very sick little kiddos, finding themselves in a four-year battle with conventional medicine. At almost breaking point, Jess decided to find another way to solve their health issues, at which point she began learning about the healing power of food. And with this, discovered the incredible things that the human body is capable of achieving when given the right set of tools. Not only is Jess a functional nutritionist, but also a gut health expert and hormone practitioner. And as a busy mum, she loves to squeeze in some time at the beach and loves putting her running shoes on as well. So a big warm welcome to the show, Jess. How are you? Oh, Maddie, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So first up, from reading your content, like, where are your kids at? How are they doing? What was their journey like? Because that was obviously the stimulation for this path, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel like we're living in a different world now. Uh, I feel like I'm getting to know my kids again. It's amazing the difference between a child that's unwell and struggling and sick and how that manifests in terms of their personality and their behavior mm. versus a child that's well. So the kids are thriving, you know, they're playing sport, they're um, they're great. And it'll be an ongoing journey for us. Their immune system has really been the thing that took the biggest knock through all of that. So we'll probably have a long journey of getting back on track with their immune systems, but they're great. You know, it's amazing. And they eat all the food, they eat kale, you know, (laughs) they eat green soup. They had broth bowls for dinner last night. So I'm really, really lucky that we're doing great. Yeah, that's awesome. How long has it been that transition, introducing them to that world of food and nutrition at such a young age? How long has that been to sort of get them to where they are now? Yeah, that's a great question. We probably started, you know, full on on the paleo approach, I would say seven years ago, Mm -hmm. seven to eight years ago. And we're now at the point where we've got it nailed, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, so a long time. 
Well, yeah, I would say long time, but it's, I would argue that it takes at least seven years for most adults to yeah. successfully change their diet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, um, it can be a while to adapt to these things. But I think kids are just more resilient, more adaptable. You know, they're in that phase of their life where they're just so open to, you know, whatever the world throws at them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was lucky that I got them early before they developed any attachments to food. <laughs> and not that we were doing the wrong thing. I thought I was doing a good job in terms of feeding them healthy food. But when you have to move into a space to use food as healing, that's like next level. That's funky foods. Like now we're making bone broths and we're fermenting things and we're, you know, hiding things in smoothies. It's like a whole nother level again. I totally remember my mum hiding things in, you know, whether it was spaghetti sauce or whatever, some kind of casserole. And I'd, yeah. I'd managed to pull out, even if I was hating onions back then when I was like seven, I'd pull it out. To be, she tried to cut it so tiny and I'd be oh. like, what is this, mum? You were like the onion detective. I totally was. I totally was. But I guess what was the foundational thing in the journey for your kids that like, or the epiphany even Mm -hmm. that was like, something's wrong. We need to do this completely differently. Yeah. That's a great question. And easy to answer is when I had my second one. So I had Mm -hmm. my first son and he kind of from day three or four in the hospital was just really struggling and I couldn't feed and they put him on formula. He was a C-section baby, you know, it was a whole bunch of things in there already that was hot. And he was so unwell and it wasn't until I had his brother just over a year later and day two in hospital, we were staring down the barrel of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I went, okay, this is not normal. Uh, you know, these kids are vomiting, they're sick, he's already got respiratory issues, like this this is now a problem. Um, and I started to kind of think in that headspace of this is not normal, I'm not getting any help, and it probably wasn't until my second baby was about three or four months old that I really started to dive into Google. At 4 o'clock in the morning, I was on the board of the Reflux Infant Association of Australia Mm -hmm. Uh, who had provided me a world of support anyway for the kids. And we were having conversations in the background about alternative options that weren't PPIs for babies who were three months old suppressing their stomach acid with medication. We were all looking for alternatives. And Mm -hmm. I started doing that Google research kind of four o'clock in the morning. And by then, you know, the whole paleo movement was really kicking in. If you think like eight years ago, right? That was really when it was starting to come up and there was Nora's stuff, Amy Myers, um, Mm -hmm. the autoimmune way, her book kind of landed on my desk and, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of just where it all started. And it wasn't like a huge revelation overnight. It was more a sense of control when everything was happening around me that I couldn't control in the medical world and I wasn't getting any help. I mm-hmm. would go, okay, well, I read that bone broth was really good for, for tummies, so I'll make it. I would, like, do one thing. But the incredible thing about food is that your body responds to one thing right? Not a fix-all. It's not a fix-all, but you drink a cup of bone broth, you might feel something, you know, your body might oh, I quite like that. I might like some more of it. And I could see that in my kids, those tiny one percenters, that incremental progress. And that was enough to get me up the next morning, sleep deprived and make something else and research something else. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's sort of evidence-based practice in a way. It's like I did something, got the evidence, yeah, and continued on, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, I was trialing it and it was working, so let's just do more of that because up until that point, nothing had worked. No mm-hmm. medication. The boys had had, you know, in the end they had 17 surgeries between them. Whoa. And between two babies, and that was just every doctor in their field trying to figure it out. Oh, we'll just go in and we'll just cut this out or we'll just have a look at that with a camera or we'll tie the stomach in a knot, which is what they did for the reflux. Like there was this big stuff going on, but nothing was working, obviously. Mm. So uh, food was great because it was like this kind of these instant results that if I didn't give them, you know, toast and Vegemite, for example, and I gave them like scrambled eggs with bone broth, like all of a sudden he was a happier kid during the day. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where it all stemmed from. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. It's it's so funny when you go on this journey and I've been on, not with kids, but on my own journey of getting to the other side of conventional medicine and being like, how was this not so obvious to me before? <laughs> yeah, I I think a lot of it, I talk about this a little bit in my practice and my seminars, there's a disconnect, Maddie. Mm-hmm. We, we are so disconnected to those messenger signals. And let's be honest, inside an unhealthy body, those messenger signals are doing this. For right? sure. So there's that kind of disconnect of, of, yes, this is so obvious that if you put the right fuel in the tank, then the car's going to run better. But mm-hmm. we've become disconnected as a society and we outsource everything. We buy everything in a box. We go to the doctor when we feel unwell. Um, what seems so simple in terms of, okay, just eat some healthy food actually requires a bit of a paradigm shift. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think as well, because we're born into this world and obviously, you know, mothers and fathers and grandparents, everyone was doing the best that they could at the time. And we just are fortunate enough to be in a world of information where we can stumble across the truth and implement it. But I think when you're born into a family that's, you know, eating cereal for breakfast from day one and putting, you know, conventional milk in and adding cream, super processed cream and and all these different things with animal hormones and all the things that you don't actually ever know in your whole life how good great feels because you've never felt great. I absolutely love that. You're so right. And I always say to people, your parents and your grandparents were doing the best that they could because don't forget that what's happened in terms of the way that we feel, feed ourselves is not just our fault. There's a lot of conditioning mm. that's gone into that. The government's got a lot to answer for. There's social conditioning. You know, we've glorified these junk foods. You're not cool if you don't have the pizza on a Friday night. There's so much that's gone into it. The government said eat five serves of bread every day. So they all went, okay, and then look what happened, you know. So, yeah, yeah I agree with you. You're 100% right. Yeah, I think as well, like there was a a lot of that generation, particularly grandparents, parents, you know, people born post-World War II, probably for the next 30, 40 years after that, that really saw governments fix the world and so, um, and, 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 you know, fuel and feed these impoverished nations. And so there was probably a lot of uh, inherent trust that's like in these governments and their food recommendations because they, they witnessed these, you know, populations be restored and cities be rebuilt. And so I have total sympathy for people that got the message wrong because it's like, you know, these people brought the world back to, you know, what it was post, well, post 2020, you know, and so it's like, yeah, of course, you would believe the information you were given and trust these governments if they gave you your world back. Absolutely. And so you should. So Mm. you should be able 
to trust those guidelines and they should be science-based and they should be data-backed. <laughs> Maybe that's a conversation for outside of the podcast. Buddy. But yeah, you know, I agree with you 100%. Everybody was just kind of doing the best that they could. I like to say mm-hmm. when I share my story on stages and stuff, I am the living example of this. Totally. Cannot sit there and say I ate that and I was fine because we're not fine and our children are not fine. I I didn't get two healthy babies and I take full responsibility for that. And people always go, no, 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 you can't blame yourself and it's not your fault. And I go, no, no, there's a difference between responsibility and blame. Right? Sure. It's not constructive at all, but I take responsibility for that. I didn't know better. I grew up on the pasta and the milk. I was an athlete. I was high carb, low fat. I was doing all the right things, pushing my body to the limits. And then I got given, you know, two babies where it didn't manifest in my health, it manifested in them. It's pot and just pipes, right? If you've ever seen that. Um, So, that is the perfect example of how it rolls out. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting as well with as we move forward with how many, you know, new illnesses there are and new classifications for diseases and and when we look into the DNA, it might it, it happens to be there, but it wasn't there in the generation before or the generation before. And so there's often this debate in medicine that it's like did these things all exist before and we didn't have the technology to, to find them or did people just simply die out before we were able to diagnose them? Or, you know, obviously the natural functional debate is that the modern diet, the modern stressful lifestyle, the toxic relationships that we are so used to are the things that are causing these problems and stress being a core pillar of all of that. Absolutely. That, when I look back at my journey before I decided to have children, I can't believe that my body gave me babies. You know, I was literally, I was an elite athlete. I was working a high-end corporate job. And then I went through my 20s, you know, doing all of those things. There was no sleep. There was no restorative care. There was, you know, plenty of alcohol and all of those things. And I was always someone that was running to the wire. So when you talk about adrenals, when you talk about stress, and this is important for viewers to understand Stress is not always bad. You can be a high achiever. You can be someone who's living your best life and you are pushing your body to the limit. It's actually no surprise to me that my babies were not healthy. Mm-hmm. Whether there was a, a long standing DNA element, because my boys do have, there is an issue there because they both have it. There's clearly a problem in the DNA. Mm-hmm. But is that two unhealthy people coming together who thought they were healthy? Is it a case of the mum who just wasn't properly prepped? Her swimming pool wasn't full. She wasn't ready to conceive because of her lifestyle. So many different things that go into it, all like what you said. You know, would it have happened anyway? If I didn't look at it and if I didn't change the pattern, not just for me but for them, that's going to continue through the line. Mm, for sure. And as you're going there, I sort of, there's this evolutionary biologist part of me that is an unpopular opinion. And that is that like, in like the things like IVF and these unnatural methods of uh, reproduction are forcing damaged DNA yeah. together. Yeah. And, and that shouldn't procreate because otherwise nature would have allowed it. And, and, and not that I'm saying that, no, you know, 
nobody should have been born that wasn't born this way. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that we're encouraging a disease and illness scenario to exist because there was obviously something in nature that said these two probably shouldn't produce something because there might not be, you know, an optimal offspring. And now we've got, oh, technology, now we can force this to happen. And then a lot of IVF babies have, and, you know, babies born in unnatural ways have a lot of different, you know, genetic variations and illnesses and susceptibilities and allergies. And and then you might pile on top of that a C-section. So there's obviously not a vaginal birth, so there's not an exposure to all these things. Then you put on top of that um, formula, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's these just so many layers. So we get to this position of like, of course people are not well. <laughs> Absolutely. And if we can just kind of flip that for a minute, I love that we went straight to talking about hormones and fertility and things. But if you think about before the IVF was a very long journey of a woman in an unbalanced body trying to get pregnant. Mm. And what happened before that? How many years was she on the pill? How many years has that, sorry, elephant in the room, like how many years has that hormonal dysfunction? You talked about being forced upon the body. I love that. Mm -hmm. How many times are we interrupting the natural systems, we're overriding with our big, clever human brains. We're overriding everything, right? And so, mm-hmm. okay, well, here presents an early teenager who's already having period problems. Just give her the pill for 16 years and then come off the pill and try and have a baby when she's yeah. dealing with synthetic artificial hormones in her body every day. Like there's so many things that go into it. For me, though, I always come back to the fact that my journey with my kids and what I learned and what we went through, I have a divine responsibility to share that, not just to do better for our family, but to actually be out here having these hard conversations because I didn't have me when I was going through it. I didn't Mm -hmm. have someone to say, hey, why don't you look at this, you know? It's like that conversation from an emotional perspective about generational trauma. And it's the same with food and nutrition and our physical being. It's like until somebody in the family line goes and gets the information and makes the change, we're just going to keep passing down these bad habits. Yeah, absolutely. I coach these individual sessions called Heal My Relationship with Food. I do a Mm -hmm. one-on-one session and I do it for so many of my clients because it is the missing piece. And in that session, we talk about the influence of family, of upbringing, your social connections. And it's amazing to me how many of my clients will come out and say, I just don't feel like I can advocate. I know that choice is wrong. I know that bread is not for me because it makes me bloat. But in that family pressure cooker or in that social situation, I just don't feel like I can speak up. So the problem goes even deeper then than your relationship with food. This is about your relationship with the world and with yourself. And there's so many layers in there, like you said. Mm, absolutely. I, I find exactly the same thing that a lot of the people I work with know. It's not like I very rarely have to say, did you know that meat and vegetables are like good for you? Yeah, like yeah. everybody knows that. It's it's yeah. the bit that they struggle with is the, well, why don't I eat it then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So you mentioned it there before um, about, we'll talk before mothers conceive, like being in an unbalanced body and we talked about the pill and, and stuff like that. And so I'm curious, you obviously focus a lot on gut and hormones. So talking about unbalanced bodies and seeing a lot of these unbalanced bodies, what for most people is out of balance? Uh, yeah, well, estrogen 
is the obvious one when it comes mm-hmm. to hormones. You know, we're all walking around with way too much estrogen in our bodies mm-hmm. and um, that's coming externally and internally. So it's coming mm-hmm. through our meats. It's coming through the water that we drink because everybody's taking the pill and then they go to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. FYI, it's not always getting yeah. filtered through. Sorry for the graphics, everyone. Um, but estrogen is a massive issue. And I'd like to just go a step further than that and say, Estrogen is not only about having too much or having estrogen-related issues. This is also coming down to the body not being able to detoxify and get rid of those estrogens and those hormones. So we've kind of got a situation where if you imagine the sink, right, and this is men and women, by the way, it's not just women, Mm -hmm. men and women, you kind of got the sink and the tap's on full, right? Whereas it's only supposed to be kind of drip feeding in a few times a month. The tap's now on full because we're being exposed to these estrogens everywhere, right? Mm. If we're carrying too much weight, we're generating more estrogen internally from that fat tissue. So the tap's on full, but if you imagine that our livers are overloaded, our guts are not working properly, our detox mechanisms are just not functioning, the plug hasn't been pulled. So you've Mm -hmm. got the sink filling up and the plug hasn't been pulled and it's very easy for things to overflow. And what that manifests as is different for everyone. You know, for men, it's weight gain around the middle and it's loss of drive and it's loss of stamina and it's inflammation. And for women, it's irregular periods and heavy bleeding and mood swings and all the wonderful diagnoses that the doctors give of endometriosis and, you know, PMDD and all of these things. We really just have a root in that sink analogy. Mm. And the only other thing, Maddie, is also with progesterone, there's a huge adrenal connection there. So Mm. the higher stress the individual, the more it's going to affect their progesterone. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel tired and run down before the day has even begun? Like you're about to drag yourself through another day. You get up, take the kids to school, go to work, do all of the things whilst simultaneously thinking, ugh, I should be eating better food and looking after myself. Then at night, you're lying in bed feeling worn out, staring at the ceiling saying, I wish I felt good in my own skin again, just like I used to. If this feels familiar, you're not alone. 
The most successful group of people that I work with are just like you. They're busy mums wanting to get their health and their body back. If you're a busy mum, I'd like to invite you to join my free Facebook group called The Busy Mums Collective. Reclaim your health, energy and self-confidence. Inside the group, you'll get access to regular bite-sized pieces of education guiding you to increase your energy levels, develop healthy habits and wake up each day feeling good about both your body and the day ahead. To join the group, it's just three simple steps. Scroll down to the show notes below, tap the link and be sure to answer the three group entry questions to gain access. And since I'm guessing you're the boss at home, who knows? Maybe the other half and the kids will accidentally get a bit healthier too. (laughs) Again, the group is called The Busy Mums Collective. Reclaim your health, energy and self-confidence. The link is in the show notes below. Sound good? Fabulous! I'll see you in the DMs and on the welcome post inside the group. So, with the estrogen, um, where... so. A lot of people may may or may not know from listening to this show or many shows, but um, that they might be estrogen dominant. Um, But but you said men in there as well. So where in the diet is this excess estrogen coming from that people can start being aware of? Yeah, awesome. Uh, That's a great question. So the very first thing is unconventional uh, conventional meats, Mm -hmm. right? So when they're not organic and they're not grass-fed, those compounds in that meat that are not self, right? The Mm -hmm. hormones and the antibiotics and the drugs and the poor feed and everything else. That's one of the biggest things, which is why it's quite typical to see a male who's eating a lot of meat and drinking a lot of beer becoming estrogen dominant, particularly red meat. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is insulin resistance dries up estrogen dominance. So the higher carb, the more processed foods, that's not directly putting estrogen into the body, but it's driving the imbalance up. Mm-hmm. So a simple analogy of red meat, white bread, and a few beers on the weekend or a few glasses of wine on the weekend, and you're already quite far out of balance. What about uh, grass-fed, ethically sourced and raised red meat? Yeah, well, what we know about that now is that the estrogen contents are far less, if any, right? Mm-hmm. Difficult to test. Uh, and and in terms of healing the body, you know, you get a good amount of omega-3 from those meats. So mm. it's really beneficial. The quality of the meat is everything. And when you're clearing estrogen out of your body, it's one of the first things that I recommend. I'm not an advocate for the vegan diet at all, but for a short period of time, you need to get those conventional meats out of your diet. The other thing is the plastics and the beauty products because not just what we put on, Mm. you know, what we're eating and putting in our mouths, it's what we're putting on our skin, right? Skin is the porous organ and it's a lot bigger than your mouth. So all the beauty products and all of that. Yeah. I'm curious to know your opinion and there's a bit of a debate in the nutrition world for the listeners. I know you know this, but on xenoestrogens, what are your thoughts? Do you think we should steer clear of them because they mimic estrogen in the body in this in an estrogen dominant scenario mm-hmm. yeah i do and it is quite controversial and there's a lot of discussion around it to me mm-hmm. it actually makes perfect sense if you me think, too if you think back to paleolithic times or if you look at the beautiful tribal african woman they're not being exposed to any of this stuff right mm-hmm. so when they hit 50 the amount of belly fat that they've got is the appropriate amount 
to generate enough estrogen for their bodies for the rest of their lives. It's a few centimeters and it's an appropriate amount, right? Mm -hmm. They're not exposed to all of these xenoestrogens. And at any point that your body is exposed to something artificial that's going to mimic another hormone, whether that directly raises your estrogen or whether it creates a problem in the feedback loop to your brain with your body going, well, I think it is, but I'm not really sure. And I don't know how I'm going to use it. But anyway, you know, stop making that, start making more of this. Um, I think in any event, regardless of the conversation and the debate around it, it's very confusing for the brain and it burdens the liver. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. I feel exactly the same. Like, yeah, if it's because especially in that, you know, you touched on sort of going more heavily plant-based as part of maybe the detox phase. And, you know, a lot of the vegan and um, vegetarian community talk a lot about, you know, well, they naturally consume a lot of lot more phytoestrogens and xenoestrogens through soy particularly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people mistake those things for, you know, and that's branding and marketing, convincing people that different things are healthy when they're equally uh, processed they're just packaged differently 100%. it's a bit like calcium and dairy yeah it's 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 the same thing all over again but just for like you know for for the plant-based alternative to dairy um so i get asked this question a lot by vegan Mm -hmm. vegetarian clients and people and the way that i explain it and i have a plant-based meal plan um for those people and there's no soy in it and the reason why i say to them is If you are experiencing any form of hormonal dysregulation, right, or any estrogen issues, or you have a history of that in your family, then Mm -hmm. soy is not for you. Mm -hmm. If you can definitively say, yes, my body processes it, I'm not intolerant to it, I don't have any estrogen issues, um, then perhaps it's for you, but in appropriate amounts. Mm-hmm. We were never designed because soy is a bean, right? So we were never yeah. designed to be consuming this much of it in a meal. Pressed yeah. into this, right? It's the same um, conversation around legumes, around all of those sorts of things. Is how much of it had to go into it to make that processed product. Yeah, well, I, and I guess you can compare that to like the energy density of snack foods and Bliss Point foods is that, like you said, it's this, it should physically be this much food, but in the soy conversation, it's like it's it's soy, far more soy dense than it actually should be for that volume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's kind of that analogy of nothing's good or bad, it's in or out of balance. I like to go a step further than that and say it's either for your body or it's not. Again, Mm. clever human brains, we're trying to rationalize everything. We're trying (laughs) to say, yes, I should have this. No, I shouldn't. When you ask your body that question and go, if I'm estrogen imbalanced, then, or if I'm estrogen dominant, then eating and drinking more estrogen is not a good idea for me. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. So I guess that's the sort of the front end of the problem, putting estrogen in, uh, which then leads us naturally to the detox part and the gut, right? Because a lot of these hormones and estrogen are detoxed through the gut, assuming that the gut is working effectively. So what's going on for people usually in that sort of the detox phase or the gut phase of, you know, balancing these hormones? Yeah, well, the simplest way to explain it is if your gut bacteria are out of balance, which many people's are, you're going to be driving up 
your estrogen recycling station, as I call it. So estrogen, once it's been used by the body, we don't want it anymore. It's got to get out. Um, it can be quite a toxic compound if it's not dealt with effectively. And we mm-hmm. see that in the rise of things like, you know, breast cancers and estrogen-related cancers. We want it out, right? But the gut plays a huge role in that. And when there's dysbiosis, which is basically just too many weeds in the garden, in the gut, we can see an enzyme called beta glucose is a very big word, but what it does is it breaks open that bound up estrogen that was destined for exit. It breaks it open and re-releases it into your body. So here's an example of somebody that could be eating a really good diet or have their hormones in the sense of their lady bits kind of in check and perhaps even their liver is working okay, but there's an imbalance of bacteria in the gut, which is causing this elevated level of beta-glucuronidase that's then recycling estrogen back into the body and causing a dominance issue. So that that's one of the simple ways. Um, the other thing, of course, is just whether the guts are open or not. Mm. Like, is it moving, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've come across so many people which have estrogen dominance that also only go to the toilet like once a week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's that phase three kind of detox pathway. There, there is nowhere else for it to go. Yeah, Not it just builds up. You can't pee it out. You can't breathe it out. There is nowhere else for the stuff to go. And just by the way, if we can just touch on Maddie, you know, we're talking about estrogen, particularly because the gut has a huge role to play in balancing and keeping that estrogen in check. There's a um, classification of your kind of your microbiome called the estrobolome. That's mm-hmm. quite significant in that area. We won't get into that, but um just so people are aware, it's that sink analogy again. It's not just your estrogen that can raise in your body. Any compound, chemical, hormone, metabolic waste, external or internal in the body, once it's been used it's or once it's been processed, it's got to get out, right? Mm, so if absolutely. Think, not just are we eating a ton of estrogen, but our stress hormones are through the roof right? Mm -hmm. And there's chemicals and all the stuff that we put on as well as the metabolic waste of our own negative thoughts. Like there's a lot of things that have to get out of there every day. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think too, like a lot of people associate the gut and they hear the microbiome and so they think they're food and bacteria, but, and and then we think hormones and they kind of think another part of the body that's not the gut, you know, but so many of our stress hormones and happy hormones are released in the gut and exist in the gut. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's the key to happiness right there. And if you don't believe me, the best (laughs) way to explain it to people is you go to the bathroom. Sorry to get graphic on your podcast, Maddie. Go for it. But you go to the bathroom and you fully empty your bowels twice in a day and you come to me and tell me that you don't feel happier because you do. You feel (laughs) totally do. You feel brighter. You're like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's take the world. (laughs) And interestingly, it also makes you, you know, once that's happened for a lot of people, don't know how we ended up here, but once it's happened for a lot <laughs> of people, you're instantly craving something healthy. You go, oh, you know, I'm feeling really good. I think I might have a smoothie. I think I might have a salad, you know. You're mm-hmm. not wanting to put any more stodge in there at that mm-hmm. point. So, yeah, happy yeah. hormones, 100%, all that serotonin and all of that, your gut's responsible for that for sure. Yeah, it's such a, has such a massive job. And, and you mentioned dysbiosis before as well. So what would you say 
for the average podcast listener. Not that they're average, they're all amazing. Um, (laughs) But what kind of foods would be in their diet that are causing some kind of dysbiosis that they may or may not be aware of currently? Yeah, okay. So great question. But I'd like to just kind of branch off and say there's three things that can cause that. One, you know, diet is a big thing and I'll talk about the foods, Mm -hmm. but digestive dysfunction is another issue and high stress is another issue. So Mm -hmm. there's three and they're all equally uh, prevalent. So if you have dysbiosis or if you have gut health issues, it might be your diet. It also might be the fact that there's a functionality issue. You're not digesting properly. Something's not working in there. Mm -hmm. Something's missing. Um, And it could be high stress, high cortisol that's driving that. Particularly Mm -hmm. with those foods with the dysbiosis, If you think about a piece of white bread that you leave out on the bench top and it grows mold, right? That's a good example of what happens when you eat those processed white foods. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we're particularly talking about the highly processed refined carbs. That's the biggest. But I'll Mm -hmm. go beyond that and say that sugar is great food for weeds in the gut. They love that stuff, right? It's really like candida and that sort of stuff. So refined sugars, those white carbohydrates, anything that ferments, right? So what happens is those big white stodgy carbohydrates and sugars, they ferment in the gut and that's what provides the food for those bacteria. They Mm -hmm. love that stuff. And you know what they're going to do? Once they start to feed on it and they love it, they're going to ask you for more. (laughs) hey could you get me another one of those donuts because i really like that so that's a big one um in terms of feeding the dysbiosis but i think it's important that we touch on things like alcohol you know hydrogenated vegetable oils all of those are toxic to the gut as well so that's the best thing in terms of food is if there was one thing that I would suggest to people to take out of their diet as a starter for their gut health I wouldn't say gluten in isolation. I would say refined white carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I think that, yeah, they're mostly really bad for people, (laughs) for their guts. Um, And it's like one of those evidence-based things. It's like even if people don't believe us, it's like just do it for a fortnight or a month and come back and tell me how you feel. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly right, Maddie. And to simplify it, if bread makes you bloat, bread is not for you. Doesn't totally. matter if it's sourdough, doesn't matter if it's whole grain, doesn't matter any of that stuff, right? Doesn't matter if it's gluten-free from the supermarket. If it makes you bloat, it's not for you right now. So that, that would be kind of my biggest takeaway. But it is important to touch on the fact that that dysbiosis, that overgrown weeds in the garden, as I describe mm-hmm. it, can also very quickly come from poor digestive function further north. So if you don't mm-hmm. have enough stomach acid, if you're lacking digestive enzymes, if something in the chain is not working, you're going to create a situation where that food's not getting broken down, even the healthy food, and it's going to ferment. And it's going to provide food for those guys. So the function is as important as the diet. Just to give some clarity to listeners, so just the thinking of the word ferment, right? Because a lot of gut health people, including myself, talk about the benefit of fermented food. So I'm just wondering if for, for people listening, you can clarify the difference between food that goes in and then ferments versus putting in fermented foods. Okay, totally. That makes sense. So the fermented foods, never been asked that one before, Maddie. Fermented <laughs> foods, so this is my take on it, right? It's not like a scientifically backed answer for you. But in my brain, fermented foods, number one, are going through a fermentation process, usually from vegetables, 
mm-hmm. not from white bread, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they are creating already beneficial bacteria through their fermentation process outside of your body. So when mm-hmm. they come into your body, they are full of positive, healthy, helpful, good guys that are going to go through and help you to digest that meal and do a bunch of good things in your gut. When you are eating a piece of white bread that Mm -hmm. does not have any benefit, doesn't have any nutritional benefit, doesn't have any probiotic benefit, and you put that into your body, that then becomes a direct fuel source for those bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's like honey to a bee. It's exactly the same. So it's the direct fuel source for those bacteria. And sometimes the fermentation can come from the bacteria themselves as they feed on those carbohydrates. Their byproduct is acid and gas and all of this lovely inflammatory stuff that you feel as discomfort and, and wind and pain. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for clearing that up because I know that, yeah, that, that could easily get really confusing yeah, for yeah. someone. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, that's totally fine. Totally fine. So um, before we wrap up with a couple of final questions, where can everyone find you online? Oh, thanks, Maddie. Really easy. JessWilson.com. That's my new website. That's the easiest place to go. Amazing. And for everybody listening, uh, I'll put all of Jess's links to all of the socials and all of that down in the show notes below. And obviously, JessWilson.com. Go check it out. Hormone, gut, everything you want fixed, go to Jess. Um, And... What is one piece of health information of all the things you've ever learned that you wish more people knew about? Oh, okay. One, Maddie. I know. I know. It's a tough one. Information. Everything that I do is looking at the body north to south, and that's because I learned that digestion begins in the brain, mm-hmm. right? So anytime that you're thinking about, and I'll translate this for viewers so that it's not in a clinical sense, it's actually in a how can this apply to me sense. Mm-hmm. Always think of your body north to south. Anytime there's a problem in your body, I want you to go as far north as you can possibly imagine that problem to be. Because ultimately, everything is governed by the master controller, which is this. And even digestive problems can come from a dysfunction in what's going on up here. So that kind of analogy of your body is north to south. When you stand up, that's pretty much how you run, right? Your heart Mm -hmm. doesn't beat in your foot. So (laughs) anytime that there's anything going on in your body, thinking about it from north to south um, and digestion is a good analogy of that. If you're stressed, you're going to be running to the bathroom. Your digestion's going to be off. There's Mm -hmm. such a a big component there in the brain. So that's probably one of the most powerful things that I learned in terms of how to look at the body when you're looking for those root causes and looking for those answers. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And for everyone listening in, if you love this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social media and you can tag myself and Jess. Um, Thanks for being here, Jess. This has been awesome. Oh, I love chatting to you, Maddie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No worries. We'll definitely get you back soon. Awesome. Awesome. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenters that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.